BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about The Last Jedi, the Star Wars film that is episode eight? We're going to find out today what the panel thinks. But first, hey, friends, fans, family, thank you for being here with us. I'm not actually sure. I think my mom does listen to the show. I've missed you. It's only been a week since we last talked, but I missed you. And I think that I speak for my co-host Jacqueline Coley when I say she misses you too. Right, Jacqueline? Um, Sure. I, I want them to believe that I like people, so I will tell that lie right now. <laughs> when we talk about the kind of movie that we're talking about mm-hmm. today, you know what it really makes me miss the most is what? movie theater popcorn. Oh, movie theater popcorn. I miss yeah. movie theater lobby debates because I didn't feel anyone for this one, but then I felt like I was living in one for the three months after people saw it. I loved movie theater lobby debates post-movie until social media happened yeah and then i was like this feels like real life social media and i can smell it and i can feel it breathing and i am not a party to it so usually when a movie ends i don't care if i loved it if i hated it i am looking for the fastest exit i want to be alone (laughs) with my thoughts for at least two hours before i have to talk to anybody about it yeah especially considering how much we have to talk about it same thing with this movie we cannot say that we did not spend a lot of time talking about it. <laughs> and that movie has been seen and seen again and dissected and taken apart and put back together the world, indeed the galaxy over, because once again, it's Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. That would be the meat in the sandwich that is the new trilogy, the sequel trilogy, as some people call it, or the Disney trilogy. Either way, it is Star Wars The Last Jedi. It is finally here, and in part, thanks to our fan David Pierce, who sent us a great email. He said, I'd love for you guys to do an episode on The Last Jedi, even with its flaws. I think it's the best thing to happen to the Star Wars franchise since The Empire Strikes Back. It was the first time I walked out of a Star Wars movie not feeling like I knew what would happen next. I also want to give a shout to Brandon Schiffman, Johan Gustafsson, Nicholas Bayfield, and probably thousands of other fans who were saying, hey, we really need to talk about The Last Jedi. We've done The Rise of Skywalker, and now it's time for Last Jedi, which is currently 90% certified fresh on the tomato meter. However, 42% audience score so it is super fresh certified so but the audience score is clearly in the rotten parameter so Jacqueline super special guest joining us today who I love dearly before we get to that gorgeous young man what is the last Jedi about in case folks missed it 
Ah, yes. It is a sandwich, although I'm not sure if we would call The Last Jedi the meat, the bun, or the special sauce, depending <laughs> on who you ask. But it is the middle film in the Skywalker trilogy. And where we leave off in The Force Awakens, Rey has emerged as somebody who is Force sensitive. She fought Kylo Ren on the ice planet after Finn held the lightsaber for one second and gave us all those posters making us think he was a Jedi and then he wasn't. Anyway, Finn is injured. Rey has saved the day and she is on her way to find Luke Skywalker. The last scene in The Force Awakens was her handing him the lightsaber. We open up in this one and whoops, that was just a mistake. Luke is bitter. He's off on the Jedi isolated planet. Meanwhile, the resistance is very much on their heels. In the opening scenes we see Poe risk several people just to take out a dreadnought and we figure out that Kelly Marie Tran's sister was one of the people that died. Resistance is on its heels. Leia and the entire um, leadership of the Alliance gets blown up and it basically determined that they have just one shot to maybe get out of the, I want to say the bad guys, what are the first order figuring out where they are and therefore sort of like snubbing out the resistance. Leia gets blown up. Then she flies like Mary Poppins. <laughs> Poe <laughs> basically asks like Han Solo. And we figure out maybe not the best way to lead a resistance. And then Laura Dern shows up with fabulous purple hair as a general. And she sort of saves everything. All this time, Ray is on a planet trying to convince Luke to come back to the Resistance. There's a casino moment with Benicio Del Toro and an accent that makes absolutely no sense. And in the end, Luke does come to save the day, even though he astro projects. Kylo Ren and Ray have some weird sort of like space energy where we figure out maybe they like each other, maybe they don't. They do some some Jedi sexting, video sexting. <laughs> and then they fight uh, Snoke in a throne room where Kylo Ren kills Snoke and sort of like says, let us be king and queen of this new order. That doesn't work any well. Kylo tries to kill Luke, but Luke ends up killing himself. And the last shot of the movie is basically Luke telling us that Rey is the last Jedi, not him as he dies. Oh, and Yoda shows up. There you yeah, go. Then we get Broom Kid, right? Yeah, then we get Broom Kid. And then we get Broom Kid, which is literally one of my favorite moments in entire Star Wars, but we'll get to that later. And that's what happened. Kind of a <laughs> mix of things. And then the internet went nuts. All right. That was a gigantic shake that Jacqueline just made in that Vitamix. And it's I, two and a half not, hour movie, dude. Two and a half hour movie. It's a long movie. And I'm going to say what I loved about your synopsis is what it may have lacked in chrono chronological order. It more than made up for because... I am so in the dark as to if you love this movie, if you dislike this movie, if you're in the middle. So we get to unpack all of this stuff. But before we do that, we have to intro the reason we are here today. The reason why really I'm still alive is producer Lucy, who I have intel, Jacqueline. Producer Lucy, if she cares to weigh in on this, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole she wants to go with this. Watch The Last Jedi again last night. Lucy, do you have new feelings on The Last Jedi upon rewatching it last night, or are you going to use some out like, oh, my kid distracted me so I couldn't finish watching the movie? I feel the same exact way I felt when I watched it in the theater. Um, but because I was in the theater the first time, I didn't leave because I don't believe in like walking out on movies, even if you don't uh -oh. like them. But oh boy. I tried to rewatch it last night and I could not. I, I was... I was I don't think it holds up as a as a oh. second rewatch. 
Okay. I was I was bored. So I I fast forwarded to my favorite scenes, which are <laughs> going to probably be talked about. But the two scenes in a movie does not make a whole movie, if you know what I mean. So that's where I stand. I'm sorry. Lucy weighing in on The Last Jedi. I mean, look, if you're talking about The Last Jedi on a podcast called Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, you better come with your opinion and you better come hard to the whole and that's something that our special guest knows all about because he is not only one of our dear friends for a long time, he's a hilarious comedian, actor, performer extraordinaire, and he is a host over at Screen Chunkies. You can see his work on everything from Community to Key and Peel, and of course, Tournament of Nerds. No, he is not a member of the 96 Chicago Bulls, but he is the one, the only Mr. Hal Rudnick, sir. Welcome to Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. What's going on, everybody? Good to be here uh, to be part of the final time, the last time that The Last Jedi is talked about on a podcast anywhere. Don't We're do that to us, Hal. Because then if it happens, when it happens again, it'll be our fault somehow. Like we were the ones that cracked open this Pandora's box that was put to bed. Also, I just want to defend my synopsis. This movie has four parallel narratives chronological is not gonna happen it was it was a great synopsis I'm just saying, it, 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 it wasn't it wasn't that i was just saying for i feel that there were people probably listening right now being like what was yeah that? for the record <laughs> throne room happened before uh luke yeah, astrally projected yeah, yeah i know i know i know oh I can that. i ask a question by the way um producer lucy how come you don't go by producey lucy no ah, no 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 thank you Thank you. Producey Lucy is the way we reference her. Mark led down the side to begin with, but I wasn't. Producey Lucy. Yeah, that was on me. I, I I dropped the ball on introducing her as her Christian name and not Producey Lucy. But in defense to Jacqueline's synopsis, she was talking about The Last Jedi remake, which Change.org demanded not <laughs> two years ago. So... Is yeah. Rotten Tomatoes wrong about this score? How, like I said, it is 90% on the tomato meter right now. Did Rotten Tomatoes get it right in a sentence or two? What says the Rudnick? They got it right. Thanks for having me, guys. I will see you next time <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. No, it, it's wrong. 90% is far too high. Listen, I am not in the deep Star Wars Last Jedi haters camp, but it is not that great 90 percent. that is a great movie this is a very good movie this is a fun inventive star wars movie but it's closer to 75 percent in my estimation because it's flawed the way they handle some of the archetypal characters some of the characters that you have to handle with care you got to put bubble wrap around these fabergé eggs of characters mark hamill uh his luke skywalker uh, princess leia those are those are the sacred cows of star wars and they were both grossly mishandled in this film and that just like that that's a serious blow to the film lots of great action um i think there are some bold moves by ryan johnson that actually work out i mean uh sorry about your childhoods uh in some regards so it's a mixed bag there are moves where it's like you know what sorry uh sorry not sorry about snoke 
Uh, okay. But okay. The, so the, so basically, you're saying that you liked a lot. There's a lot that you weren't a fan of, and that mm-hmm. 90 is way too high. So it's, a, it's more I, of a mixed bag. I'll let everyone know because I have Mark Hoffmeyer's brilliant research right in front of me is that there's only four Star Wars movies that are 90% or above on the tomato meter. The Empire Strikes Back leads the pack at 94%. Then The Force Awakens is 93%. A New Hope, the one that kicked this all off, is 92%. And then, Jack, when we land at The Last Jedi, 90% is Rotten Tomatoes wrong. Rotten Tomatoes is rightish. So Rotten Tomatoes is right on this movie being the best movie that I think you could make given the parameters in which Ryan Johnson had to make it. And I do think like like 90% is an accurate grade for that test that he was put against. That grade in relationship to the pantheon of Star Wars or what it does to the legacy of Star Wars is not 90%, but making a movie, making the movie you could make with the things that you had to do I think it's I think it's the best you could you ever hope for on that. And that does not mean that it's perfect. I think it's a flawed proposition to make this trilogy. And the fact that we get good movies out of it, we should just shut up and eat our food. I am always of the idea of shutting up and eating more food because that's a lot more fun than talking. But because I do enjoy talking, too, I will levy my opinion that Rotten Tomatoes I think it's right here because I think The Last Jedi is a soaring achievement in the world of Star Wars. I actually disagree with Jacqueline that I think that it is that that handing off of things that I, I would say doesn't necessarily live up to what I hoped it would be for me in the new sequel trilogy. But in this movie, as a standalone film and some continuity with the entire Star Wars canon, this resets the table and lets a new generation of people know exactly what it means to be an actual Jedi, what the Force is really about. It furthers the lore without butchering what George Lucas had laid out. So this is going to be a good show. This is going to get a little spicy, and we love it when we hear from y'all. We love when you get in touch with us in a classy manner on social media or email. You can email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. That's where we get these sort of lovely suggestions like talk about Star Wars Episode Eight. So I'm going to talk about all the action that happened on screen and, yes, behind the scenes as well. And now it is time for our favorite segment because we shut up and we hear from the expert review curation manager at Rotten Tomatoes, Tim Ryan, for two minutes with Tim. Hit the music. I'm going to make this quick because you probably heard a lot about this movie and you probably have a lot of opinions on this movie. So I'll just go very quickly with what the critics had to say. The Last Jedi is certified fresh at 90% on the tomato meter with 476 reviews. And it also has a 42% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Christopher Orr of The Atlantic wrote, The Last Jedi probably does the best job of any Star Wars film of capturing the allure of the dark side and the spiritual turmoil that would lead to and also result from its embrace. However, in a rotten review, Piers Marchant of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette wrote, As much time and energy has been devoted to the goings-on of Ray, Wren, and their various friends and enemies, try as the film might, it doesn't generate much in the way of genuine interest in these characters. So, Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus for the film reads, Star Wars The Last Jedi honors the saga's rich legacy while adding some surprising twists and delivering the emotion-rich action fans could hope for. 
However, it's pretty safe to say that at least in terms of audience reviews, the fans were pretty split on this one. So that's The Last Jedi. Mark, Jacqueline, try or try not. There is no do. Wait, is that right? No, it's wrong. Still with a few of Yoda's life lessons to get in the correct order there, but a solid effort there from Mr. Tim Ryan. I think that this is going to be such a fun episode because you do have that disparity between the tomato meter and the audience score. I mean, one is super fresh. One is clearly rotten. How you hear all of those reviews. Do you remember? Do y'all remember what it was like in 2017 when this movie came out and it was. It, we just assumed that everybody was going to love it because this was going to be the Empire Strikes Back of the, the the new trilogy, and there was so much darkness and mystery surrounding the ad campaign. And then it came out, and I just don't know that any of us were prepared for whether you loved it or hated it. How divisive this movie was. There was a true dark side and light side of the internet reaction to this movie. That is for certain. Uh, yeah, it's crazy the amount of uh, just it, it became such a hot button issue the uh i mean not since the uh, uh the dawn of justice has there been or uh batman v superman <laughs> this falls right into like there are lovers there are haters and i think i'm just uh quoted a billy joel song right there the lovers the oh the lovers the dreamers in me but yeah it was a real rocky road uh, after this movie and like it basically seemed you're on one side or the other there there is no middle ground in you just quoted uh you just quoted tag team from that new commercial where they're making dessert as well Whoop. there it is um but we're fine jack we're ready to talk about this now because again this was now four years ago and i think that there was a period in a lot of pundits life where you said i never want to think or talk about that movie again and now i think that we can at least look back and and at least be fair about what we're going to say on screen and behind the scenes um yeah this is not my vietnam movie for folks that don't know that is definitely justice league like i can't go back too much happened i can't talk about it it is very much like i went to war for that one this one i was like I was like puzzled and anytime I met, you know what it was? It was like meeting someone that you didn't think would like have a certain political alignment. Be like, oh, you're one of those people. You don't like it, huh? Like I was always enamored when I met somebody who really vehemently didn't like it. But I also feel like the people who liked it were just not as loud with their dislike. So I didn't really even feel that it was a split. I just felt that there was like a loud group of 10 people who were really upset and a bunch of people being like, it's Space Samurais. It was I cool. Felt like, I felt like I was at a giant Thanksgiving dinner table with a bunch of members of my family who I barely knew. And then it just gets political. And then everybody just starts yelling at each other and throwing food and throwing forks. But yeah. we're going to be much more civilized about that today because in terms of watching a Star Wars movie, we're done with the pre-roll. We've seen the galaxy uh, a long time ago, galaxy far, far away. And now the crawl text has happened. And it is time for us to talk about the scenes that we love on screen in The Last Jedi for our movie talk section. And we kick this off with our thesis headline statement. Why do you love this movie? Why, why do you just feel meh about it? Why do you hate it? How I'm, I'm going to 
pigeonhole you into the are you sort of meh on on airing maybe on the side of liking the last jedi and if so give us a reason why listen it's it's a clear like for me but again i don't think it 90 percent is a superlative that's an a you know that's an a grade and i don't feel like it reaches that the it's too long the i mean two and a half hours it and it feels long. And there are absolutely things to like. I mean, if you don't like that throne room scene, then, uh, you know, get the hell out of here. You know, get in an escape pod and go uh, spend the rest of your days on Tatooine and leave me the hell alone. But if, you know, if, if you want to defend Princess Leia flying through space and like, what a you know, here, let's get it started here. Let's drop the gloves. One of the one of the things I dislike most about this film, that's the only time, and please, anyone correct me if I'm wrong, the only time we ever see Princess Leia use any Force-like powers. And there is no hint of it before. And we don't get to see her, like, do a tiny thing like, oh, look at me, I can move that pen. Um, oh, Jackie, Jacqueline is go is like waving. She's like, no, 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 no. What, what, what is it, Jacqueline? In Return of the Jedi, when she realizes about Luke and like that moment, that was the force. That wasn't just like an epiphany where she's just, oh, I know, where she realizes that he's her brother. So the fact that she had a thought... No, was the using fact the force. that she felt it through the okay. force. Okay. The same way when she felt that he died because he's like, is Luke okay? She's like, yeah, he is. Like, yeah, I had that, I, I have, I had that I, also. It's I, called intuition. Can, They're like twins. They're twins. You feel like one twin gets hurt, like in real life. That's a thing that happens. It's fine. Like Keep if going. I had a twin like and my, Joe, and my twin burned his in G.I. Joe, felt each other's pain even when they weren't in the same room. So Those I, I, I twins can get were on... called Samot and Tomax. Thank you very much. Um, I am a scholar in the 80s G.I. Joe cartoon. <laughs> Somebody's hosted Tournament of Nerds way too long. <laughs> um, um, I, I, like... I believe that Princess Leia is, is obviously Force-sensitive. We know that because Luke tells her that she has that power too. That was a bite from Return of the Jedi that was used in marketing material for The Force Awakens. And so we know that Leia is Force-sensitive. To Hal's point... I don't know that we ever saw her wield a, a lightsaber or any other Force-sensitive material, much less be able to do something that we've never seen before with the Force, such as float through space. But, but I believe that part of what makes the Force so powerful is that you do have this motherly uh, instinct with it where if a mother sees her child underneath a car she has the strength to lift it where you can summon this incredible power when your very life or the life of someone you love depend on it and so in that moment it was her and she was able to summon it my issue with that scene is not that it happened is certainly not that leia because i, th I think leia could be one of the most powerful jedi if she chose to go down that road my issue with that scene is just the optics of it and I think that that's sometimes that we just have to reconcile that if you read something in a script, that might come off as magical. And, oh, my God, she saved herself. She really does have this power. Look at this. But just on screen, it looked very Harry Potter to me. It, it looked very Mary Poppins. And so I think that it's a cool moment that just I don't know how to execute that properly because we are so conditioned to seeing astronauts in space and people's faces just melt and combust in upon themselves if they are exposed to anything. And, out, and we're just like, no, that, that couldn't happen. And so it just looked weird. I don't think it's weird. It just looked weird. 
let me piggyback uh, what Mark is saying here. Uh, yeah, 100%. It was lame sauce. Straight up lame sauce, okay? And he, um, it's like, like oh my god like they couldn't have done that better also what added to the lame sauce they cut to billy lord looking at mommy look at mommy fly i mean the worst one of the worst scenes um yeah just in execution and in just the the uh the trajectory of princess leia and her relation with the force I don't know. It really now, should we have seen that scene versus not getting to watch Admiral Akbar have his proper send off? That's a different conversation altogether. Mm. Jacqueline, I want to pivot to you because I do want to get your thesis and then you can go ahead and highlight a scene that you think either illustrates your love or hate or meh for The Last Jedi. Um, I think it's like, look, I don't even remember who this guy was. I think I remember who this guy was, but like, okay, so the, the Last Jedi is the home run derby for those of you who are uninitiated, the Home Run Derby is part of the baseball all-star game where they have a dude stand there, old man throws him a pitch, and they just try and see how many home runs they can hit. It's usually the it's usually their dad, actually. They usually yeah. get their dad now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just throwing him pitches. It's very you know, Star Wars. You know, doing that. And it's a great thing for a highlight reel, but if you've ever actually watched the Home Run Derby, it's quite painful because they're not connecting on every hit. Like, like even Josh Hamilton, who actually lost the Home Run Derby, uh, I think, what do you lose? For, I don't forget who he lost to, but that's Justin, like a, I think it was Berlin? Justin Morneau. Morneau, there you go. Yeah, there he you was go. in the finals. Uh, yes. Jacqueline, I'm a very impressed with your baseball knowledge. I didn't know you were such a fan of the grand old Not, game. I'm a fan of Texas teams besides the Cowboys, and that was deep in my Rangers phase. Right they named on. it Sandwich at Rangers Stadium after Josh Hamilton, quite rightly, because that was the best thing that happened with him in that stadium. But anyway, anyway listen, back to the topic at hand. Like the topic Should the Cowboys sign Dak Prescott? Oh, no, wait, that's no, another no. device. Oh, listen, okay, back to the topic. It is the home run derby. It's You're getting a lot of connections, but you're getting a lot of whiffs, but it takes a lot of balls to stand there and just commit to knowing that you're going to look silly when you don't connect. That's and like a I lot of think balls it does. And so I really respect Ryan Johnson for the commitment. And maybe he went into it naively. I think JJ had a very healthy fear of the fans that perhaps Ryan Johnson did not. And JJ was very much kept in top of mind, maybe too much so in his third installment. But I think he literally, like Jordan Peele talked about this, when he made Get Out, he made it because he knew the reaction he wanted to initiate in black audiences when they saw certain moments. And I think JJ did that with The Force Awakens. Ryan just wanted to make a good movie with these characters and he treated it like his own graphic novel. And you can't do that. And so that's why those whiffs hurt that much more. And that's why like Mary Poppins is the worst one. And I would say the scene that to me shows when you connect and hit it out of the park. And this is not the, the biggest scene, but this is one that I think really needs to be talked about is the kid at the end with the broom. That is some of the greatest bit of ending exposition, really setting the stage for what the series could be. It, it takes it away from this family saga, like the Ewing's, and it makes it this thing that we all can touch. That was something that was born in Finn that is now sparking out to everyone else. I only wish that he did that with the avatars he was given instead of pushing them to the side because the marginalization of, of John Boyega started with the elevation of Kelly Marie Tran. 
And although they both were subject to the same BS, that to me shows like that bit of dissonance. But I do respect the man for standing up there and, and kind of being unafraid of the fans. I think he learned later that you should be, but um, I give it up for him for having that balls. Cause I think he knew some of this stuff was going to be divisive, but he wanted to tell a certain story. Subverting fan expectations is something that, that I'm going to be hitting on a little bit later in the show too. When I talk about my scene, but how it seems like you had a strong reaction to Jacqueline highlighting Broom Kid as one of the home runs that yes. Josh Hamilton Let me make sure hit. I set it up, though. This is the very end scene. One of the little kids has basically been beaten up. He's one of the, like, fixing the, the casino Greyhound racetrack things. And, you know, he just walks out. He makes a little motion. And you can see that the broom jumps into his hand rather than him picking it up. And then he just stands there with his resistance ring, looking up into the stars saying... I got next. I'm Any sorry. Any of us could be broom kid. Any of us. I lived for that. I lived for that moment. It it it, democ it added democracy to the force, which I think it needed. Hal, you can't summon a broom with the force. Why? Well, I mean, I am I'm not a Jedi, nor am I a Sith. I'm um I'm a Muggle. <laughs> uh, to uh, mix metaphors here, but I found I like the sentiment of broom kid but again in execution i found it cloying i found it totally sappy and here's what i here's my interpretation of broom kid star wars babies they're gonna use the force and gonna be jedis star wars babies it's the next generation setting up movies star wars babies i'm doing the muppet baby theme song but singing about star wars and scene it's a great uh, i found great it really muppet babies theme song and muppet babies that's a great the, theme song the yeah. best oh, 22 classic. minutes of television history <laughs> is the muppet baby star wars episode but i digress how um <laughs> yeah i i just i found it um cloying pandering I, and yeah i didn't i didn't like it that much also but uh, i appreciate what uh jacqueline was saying about ryan johnson doing his star wars movie the same way that Everyone knows Ryan is spelled R-Y-A-N and he spells it R-I-A-N. That's he. <laughs> some people say Star Wars films should be made this way. And he's like, nope, just how I spell my name all fakakta. I'm going to make this movie the way I want to make it. Ryan Johnson in stand up comedy terms is the comedian who is going to go on stage and is going to make all of the comics in the back of the room laugh and if the audience that is there happens to enjoy the show great but it's not necessarily for you he doesn't take it as far he's Mitch Hedberg he's he is <laughs> he is a Hedberg he's a Patrice O'Neill he's yes. not so far that he's Andy Kaufman where he's just trying to alienate and and get a rise out of them regardless but he made a movie where it challenged what the audience thought they knew about Star Wars and where that is a resounding success, in my opinion, is how in-depth we get with the characterization of Luke Skywalker and who ha he has become because there are side characters that I thought were underused. There were lead characters in our new trilogy <coughs> that I Phasma. thought got, got the, the total shaft. But so many of us, were so excited to take a jump back into the world of Star Wars when it was announced that Disney acquired it because we thought we were getting the big three back of 
Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford. And we didn't get any Luke in The Force Awakens until the very end when Rey shows up, she finds the island, and she hands him the lightsaber. And that's such an epic close to that movie. Also, can I just say, they set us up from that literally from the jump. The very first picture from Star Wars was the table read where they had all of them. Mm -hmm. And then after I saw Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Force Awakens, I was like, so they had Mark Hamill there for an entire table read, and he literally doesn't even say anything in the movie? That is bullshit. Poor Mark Hamill. (laughs) He he got no lines in the first one. I'm sorry, I just wanted to say that. Justice for Mark Hamill. Find that picture. Christian, put it up in here. That was a scam. Sorry. It was a great <laughs> marketing tool. And the thing about Luke in this movie, he was the one that I was the most excited to go. Why It was him and Ray training because I was assuming that was going to be the Yoda-Luke Skywalker relationship that we saw on Dagobah in The Empire Strikes Back. And so my, my scene that I highlight is when Luke finally gets inspired to get his stuff together because he has been so ingrained in his mistake that he made in training who became Kylo Ren. And he is beating himself up mercilessly for that to the point where he in his head thinks that it is now time for the Jedi to end, hence the title, The Last Jedi. And I think so many fans, myself included, had to reconcile this version of Luke where he's not just this old wizard who is coasting on the success of what he did 30 years ago and is opening restaurants and kissing babies and and just being this famous figure that everybody loves. No, he is a myth in The Force Awakens for a reason. He he had to be. He had to become that. And we see in The Last Jedi how tortured of a soul he is. We always want our heroes to ride off into the sunset like the end of Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. But that's not how their story ends. They still have to keep on living life. And part of living life is making mistakes. And Luke has not forgiven himself for the mistake he made in training Ben. So this scene where Luke gets a visit from Ghost Yoda, and Yoda gives him a little pep talk, but it's when Luke is on the Millennium Falcon, and he sees R2-D2 again. And R2-D2, just being there with Luke, this is the droid that has been with him on so many adventures when Luke didn't necessarily always want to go, but he knew he had to step up to save the day, and it inspires Luke after he's been training Rey, and Rey goes off, and they have this big argument Now Luke realizes that he occasionally does have to be that guy that can inspire new generations. Maybe not of Jedi. Maybe it is time for the Jedi to end, but inspire new generations to find their own path. And if it helps in defeating the First Order, that's just icing on the cake. I think everybody walked into this new trilogy saying, we want to see Luke light up his green lightsaber and go to town on a bunch of stormtroopers. And when we realize, oh, no, wait, that's not what the Force has ever been about, I think that polarized some people. R2? R2? Yes. Yeah, I know. Hey, Sacred Island, watch the language. Old friend. Yeah. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 
I think it polarized some people too because they were not paying attention to what the film was setting up, which I'll get to in kind of the, the, the movie talk. Another thing that I think polarized fans, but I was about it because I read romance novels and I'll take a ship anytime. I just wish, again, it wasn't the way that they took it, was the whole Ray Kylo Ren phone sex. First of all, Raylo became something that I hated as much as any ship on the face of the earth, but I did love the comedy of it. And I did appreciate Ryan setting up this idea of making them both avatars for good and evil with undertones of both underneath them, which I think is an interesting thing to say, okay, she's the light, he's the dark, but there's a little good in him and there's a little like not good in her. Like that is a very interesting, I think, dichotomy again, Ryan Johnson was given some avatars to tell his story. And in some cases, he just got rid of them and didn't care. He got rid of uh, the whole, what was set up between uh, Ray and Finn. Um, he got rid of uh, basically Poe Dameron's, I would say, sort of like altruistic nature and turned him into what he actually is, but a little bit more toxic and made him have sort of like a bit of a hero's arc. He took the the Luke character and just completely changed it. And all of those changes are actually realistic. Like Poe Dameron, the brash dude who's gonna not obey orders, that dude is the first dude to get killed and get everybody else killed. And showing that was important. Showing that smart leadership means not always telling your cards. It's not Mal from Firefly. Like you do need somebody that's a little bit more thought thoughtful in their stuff. And so I appreciated that, but... The whole, every time that they did their like Jedi, Jedi mind phone sex, I know that there was a lot of people like, I hate Kylo Ren and I hate Ray, but I was here for it. In my theater, when he showed up with no shirt, does anybody remember that? Yeah, oh yeah. Do you have something, a cowl or something you could put on? Why did you hate your father? Give me an honest answer. You had a father who loved you. He gave a damn about you. I didn't hate him. Then why? Why what? Why did you kill him? I don't understand. No. Your parents threw you away like garbage. They didn't. They did. But you can't stop needing them. It's your greatest weakness. Cheers! Legitimate cheers. Those we got some giggles. We got some giggles. All too. about it. Again, though, they could have played that differently. They could have played it between Ray and Finn. It made sense. It was and a was very meme-worthy film. Many like it, the, it gave birth to many memes. They ruled the galaxy of memes. Emo Kylo Ren too was my favorite though. Did, oh, how, did you buy into yeah. the force projection? At, because we, we didn't really get any force projection in Star Wars movies until we saw it in the Last Jedi, and we, we, we didn't have really any hint of it in The Force Awakens. And so then when we see it, and it's like you're actually, we see it early in the film and it's Rey and she senses this presence and it ends up being Kylo Ren. And then they can kind of talk to each other and it's, they they can see each other, but they can't necessarily see the space around. So they can't tell, they, they don't have full context as to where they are. So it is kind of like you're talking to someone on the phone and you don't want to talk to them anymore. So you just say, oh, now I'm about to go through a tunnel. Are you going through a tunnel? They can't prove that they can't confirm or deny that. So there's some limitations to force projection. Yeah, the, and it's indicative of a greater issue of this film, 
I think Ryan Johnson played fast and loose with what he decided you can do with the force. And he used several things that were not set up, that were not hinted at in other movies. And when it just adds up and it's one after another, it's Leia's thing, it's that, it's Luke astrally projecting at the end of the movie and his uh, hijinks there. I have some, uh, some specifics about that that really stuck in my craw. But it's he was not using it seemed like he wasn't using canon it seemed like he was just like made some decisions that were good for to advance the plot of this one movie and not the greater good of star wars and it was hit and miss it was very hit and miss i I liked a lot of it because I feel like it added up to the dynamic that we got in the throne room. And I'll say it again, that is an all-timer. Yeah, hit you know. me with your throne room, love, because th that was a scene that a lot of people pointed to and said, we'll see. And, and even in the moment, in the moment when I saw it the first time in the theater... I, I lost my mind because it was so gorgeous and beautiful that I couldn't even process in real time what the ramifications of this, because it looked mm -hmm. like Ray and Kylo Ren were teaming up. Yes. And, the, and not, not just to get out of this situation, but like, hey, fine, we're going to fight on each other's backs for the rest of our days. Just a beautifully choreographed fight scene. I mean, put that up there with freaking Errol Flynn and Robin Hood, man. That was a great scene. Th them going against all of Snoke's guard. And, you and know. shocking because, be because Snoke died. Yeah. So, so maybe I'm going to about to contradict myself because I had issues with the way uh, Sacred Cows, Leia, and Luke were used, but I don't, I didn't mind at the end of the day, Ryan Johnson saying, F your Snoke theory <laughs> and cutting Snoke straight in half. But here's what I do have a problem with. And uh, I know you guys covered this with uh, Dan Casey and your uh, Rise of Skywalker pod, but. I hated the moment in Rise of Skywalker where we find the Emperor with like a freaking fish tank full of Snokes. He's like, oh yeah, I just make Snokes all day. You need a Snoke? Where, where do you want me to send a Snoke? I got Snokes. Uh, come get Snokes. You need Snokes? We got your Snokes. I. It's like a used car salesman of Snokes. <laughs> Are you know what? All Snokes must go. We're having a, you know we're having a, a, an Earth Day. What, what's, the, what, what's the holiday in uh, Star Wars? Uh, life Day. Life Day. We're having a Life Day Snoke sale. Come on down and get your Snoke. Oh <laughs> we got God. old Snokes, young Snokes, new Snokes, used Snokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my Snoke got cut in half, and I, I was wondering if you could stitch it back up. Um, I can't do that, but I have a very slightly used Snoke. He belonged to a little old lady from Peoria, Illinois. <laughs> oh, my God. I cannot be betrayed. I cannot be beaten. I see his mind. I see his every intent. Yes. I see him turning the lightsaber to strike true. And now, foolish child, he ignites it and kills his true enemy. I love this. I love every bit of this. But you know, it's really funny you bring up Snoke because uh, the rise of, uh, we'll get into this in the next section, the yeah. rise of um, Skywalker got a lot of mess 
because they felt it retconned. But let's mm. be honest, if you really look at The Last Jedi, Ryan shot first. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, like Ryan did shoot first. Jackson, I 100% agree with you because at this, there was too, there was way too much retconning going on. What's done is done. Let's build on that. But they had to bring everyone in back to the fold. They were like, okay, a little less of this, a little more of this. It was, yeah, trying to fix too many, too many band aids. That sucked. Is it felt? I could see how it felt. Like, look, this thing was loved. This thing like stuck the landing. This was Carrie Shrug with a broken ankle and she stuck it. And you're really <laughs> going to now pick at it because you can. I could see how that put somebody in their hackles a bit. Um, and it's sort of like nobody nobody paid attention. It's like the kid that gets in trouble because he's the one that walks in when the principals are paying attention. Like Ryan was like egging him on before then. But by the time JJ comes in to sort of like do his portion, it looks like vindictive. It's like. Well, he started it and he kind of did. So he in did, that respect, he, he did because I, I, I did get the, the clear sense that Snoke was being set up as the big baddie for the next three movies in The Force Awakens. And it, it did lead to to such a fun moment. And the question is, was that moment worth the cost of what we got afterwards? In my opinion, yes, because I did buy into what we got in Rise of Skywalker with Palpatine as a used Snoke salesman. But I can also see, particularly to Hal's point, where you can look at subverting fan expectation and possibly trying to do it a little too much, trying to challenge the audience so much that you say, hey, I'm going to kill Snoke halfway through the movie, and then what are we left with? But my pushback on whether it's the, the, the force projection or it's these new powers that we see in The Last Jedi for the first time is that we got a bunch of new stuff. In episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. And we got a bunch more new stuff in the prequels that we did not know factored into the original trilogy. And I think it's fair for a fan to see the eighth movie that we've had in this saga and say, okay, you can't keep introducing new elements because we should have known them all by now. But I also think it's fair to say you don't just want to tread on the same old ground that you always did that was the gripe a lot of fans had about force awakens and so then when we try to do something new with the force and we try to expand its horizons you get pushed back there so the bottom line is you can never please everyone can you make a good movie with the mythology you want to infuse in it and i think that the payoff of force projection with what luke skywalker rope it open kylo ren at the very end of the movie in great glorious high noon fashion was worth that yeah i also think who Ryan Johnson was going for was not uber uber nerd and it was not I could care less about Star Wars he was trying to go to the middle section the sure. Star Wars casuals who know just enough to be dangerous but not enough to win a schmodown and I think <laughs> in doing so he in turn literally pissed off the most loudest people like these people have to be in the tent no matter what you can then expand the tent to include more people, but he kind of boxed those people out because he was less concerned with the things that they cared the most about. Um, again, makes for better storytelling. There are nuggets of truth. Like Brian Johnson had a whole like receipts moment where he showed that everything that he used in The Last Jedi has been uh, written about in either books or canon before. And apparently, you know, the Luke, Lucas Brain Trust had more involvement in his script, meaning the the the... the the planet that they were on with the red stuff. Like he was with those guys asking, give me the most obscure planet you can. 
I want to, you know, make a whole portion of the movie there, which is great for him. But I don't think it really satisfied other people. Take him back feel, to Hoth. That's where they want to go. I, I feel like they made that choice to go to that planet with the white sand that turns red only for the one shot of Kylo Ren skidding past the force ghost of Luke or the uh, the projection of Luke right after it looks like he clear cut him right down the middle and oh is that blood for a moment for a split uh. second that like you have that image of Kylo skidding and it's like looks like blood and then it turns out uh, that it it's uh, astral projected Luke but I'll, I'll set that I, scene up on crate real quick is because th that yeah. is where the climax of the movie takes place and that's where Luke Skywalker after getting his one two punch pep talk from Yoda and R2D2 the droid that really saves everyone's ass multiple times in these movies the droid that saved Pittsburgh Without a doubt, he Luke shows up and we think he's showing up and he and he talks to Leia and he's got a nice little goodbye there. And then he walks out because he has to confront Kylo Ren because it does feel like the Empire Strikes Back on Hoth where you have these giant militarization vehicles that are about to wreak havoc on what is left of the resistance. And only standing in their way is Luke Skywalker is this is this old wizard looking and he manages to punk Kylo Ren into making him think that he is actually there when in fact Luke is still back on Acto, the island, and he's just sitting on a rock meditating. He's doing such hardcore yoga. He can make Kylo Ren think he is there and just completely obliterate whatever his sense of the forces and who's the most powerful Jedi is. But let's be honest. The reason we went to Crate at the end is because of those cool-looking ice direwolf things. That's why we went to Crate. <laughs> they are beautiful wolf pups, and I would love to adopt one. I mean, gorgeous creatures. But so, when they cut your hand, just trying to pet them, I like to pet. It's a good risk. Good risk of that. <laughs> Worth it. So, I have an issue. I have a big issue with that scene between Luke staring down the the at at walkers and Kylo Ren. It's but it's just a moment. Okay. When Luke does this. The shoulder brush. Yes. When it's like that, all those things you just shot at me, I just it, water off a duck's back or a porg's back. Shoulder brush is an early 2000s <laughs> pop culture reference. Um, I Let me quote the bard, Jay-Z. When you you're feeling here. like a pimp, come on, brush your shoulders off. Okay. That is not something that exists in a galaxy far, far away. Now, what's next? Is Luke gonna dab on his haters? Is um is is Luke gonna do the busset challenge? I mean, the doggy? like for Jiminy crickets. Like the same way that he plays fast and Luke loose, fast and Luke with Luke's attitude where he throws the lightsaber over his shoulder. It's like, all right, you know, you're you're being a little jocular here, Ryan. You're 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 taking some serious liberties with these characters. And that was, you know, th like I don't know. That that, that just seemed 
like something beneath Luke Skywalker. Maybe, I don't know. Now I'm getting in my feelings. Doggone, I didn't want to go in my feelings today. Get me the hell out of my feelings. Jacqueline, uh, get hell out of his feelings. I, I, I honestly didn't know that was the, 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 the Jay-Z is the one that either popularized or repopularized the, the, the shoulder. I, I, I saw that in the theater and I just assumed that that's something that people have been doing for a long time. Am I, am I mistaken, Miss Coley? I just don't care. Black Panther had a what are those jokes. And that was written by Childish Gambino. Look, it's a moment. It hit what you needed to hit, which was basically you needed to get Kylo enraged. And how do you enrage an emo with pop culture? That's it. That's what he did. Um, I think it also it, it also plays into Mark Hamill's sense of humor. I think yeah, both those moments. I bet that was the, a Mark Hamill ad. The shoulder thing and and the throwing the lightsaber at the beginning of the movie, which has just become such a, a hotbed of debate. I feel is perfect for the character that Luke Skywalker became, not the guy that we see partying with Ewoks at the end of Return of the Jedi. That's the Luke that at least I, I'm not going to say we all, I expected to see an older version of that Luke, a successful practitioner of the Force who made a Jedi temple and he is just chilling and is peaceful now. I did not expect Luke to throw the lightsaber, but I think that's the reason why he threw the lightsaber is because if I how if I retired from stand up right God and forbid. and I never wanted to tell another joke on stage again and I go off to live in a log cabin for thirty years and some fan of mine who found Dog Stepfather and they said wow that I really like this guy's jokes I'm gonna bring him the microphone that they used at the taping of Mark's special. And this kid tracks me down after 30 years and they come up to my doorstep and they knock on the door and I answer it and they hand me a microphone. I'm probably doing the same exact thing Luke did with his lightsaber. But here's the thing. Did your, I mean, well, it's true. I mean, you have to look at it. Did dog stepfather unite the world and create world peace? And I think we could all agree <laughs> that your, that your standup special uh, squashed evil. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it, it's not the first so, review that I've heard that from. So, but w w take that into consideration. Are you really going to be like, yeah, F that noise? I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, but if I think it's time for all of stand-up comedy to end, <laughs> then I might just, I don't care what the history of it is. I care about the present, and the present means I am tossing that microphone. Well, you know th that... Uh, Mark Hamill has, was quoted saying that he disagreed with the concept of the character, and but oh, and then he regretted it immediately afterwards. Because okay, wait, that's just... behind the scenes stuff. Give me a sec. Give yep. me a sec because I have one more scene quickly that, that I just want to get everybody's take on. Is that regardless of what you think of Luke when we meet him or when we we leave him, um, the way that he went out is something that was very emotional for me because. I, he's my favorite hero in movie history, besides R2-D2, obviously. And I was, I, I had an inkling that we probably weren't, that he definitely was going to make it out of the new trilogy alive. But after we lost Han Solo in The Force Awakens, I was like, can we at least get him into episode nine? And I thought we made it. I thought we made it to the point where I'm punching uh, Ken Knapsack was sitting next to me first time I saw it. And it, after, because I'm like, he made it. He, he survived. And then we see him and it just, it was too much yoga for him. And he just disappears and fades away. And I thought, 
it was it was sad, but it was such a beautiful way for Luke Skywalker to go out peaceful on his island, having given the resistance hope, and now he can go on into his next blue ghost life. Did we like that? Did we not like that? Uh, uh yeah, it was fine. I, look, <laughs> could he have had a better send off? Yes. How? Oh. I didn't mind it. Yeah. I didn't I didn't mind it. Uh, but he, that doesn't mean be, that you liked it though. Uh nor did I dislike it. That's what I'm saying. What is the best yeah. way for Luke to go out then? Honestly, if you ask Star Wars fans, it's for him not to go out. That's the perfect that's no. literally the perfect answer. That's what yeah. it was. They didn't look, this is what it was in its fundamentalness is you have Ryan Johnson trying to give Luke Skywalker his Logan moment, his tortured hero final moment of redemption. This is actually usually the way the hero's tales go. But Star Wars fans want their space samurais. They want their Han Solos. They want their Lukes. And look, Luke killed Han Solo. I mean, not Luke. Uh, JJ killed Han Solo. Luke's next, and you figure that Leia's not making it past the third. They were getting rid of these kids strategically. I, uh, I, think I think Leia the, might have made it, but unfortunately, we didn't get the chance. Yeah. Okay, so, since you asked it, best way for Luke to go out? Boning a sex worker on Jakku. <laughs> that is <laughs> boning, boning a sex worker on some desolate alien planet. A cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> or he could go out like Yondu from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> He may have been your your papa, but he wasn't your daddy. Is that yeah, what you got to do? Yeah, I I stand corrected. That okay, Ryan's way was the third best way for Luke Skywalker <laughs> to go out. We are now yeah, mercifully a that was the Mary Poppins moment we needed. Oh, that was Mary Poppins, uh, y'all. But here's the th- like, uh, Jacqueline, you bring up an amazing point there because what James Gunn did with a tertiary character, Michael Rooker's character, who we like, we didn't really, but then we gained a fondness and Michael Rooker's freaking great. But that scene like was more powerful of uh, of Yondu going out in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 as opposed to like, all right, the way Luke went out is fine. We're talking about Yondu versus Luke freaking Skywalker. So um, there's something that maybe now, so now that we think about it, Maybe it wasn't quite right. It like the el- and the elements were there too. Like L- Luke went above and beyond to save all of the rebels there, and but then that last moment, it was kind of like, okay. We are bubbling at the surface to talk about all the behind the scenes because this is one of those movies where it is very tough to separate what we see on screen, the movie itself, from the making of the movie because there's certain characters that are on this movie poster prominently featured that we did not talk about any of their scenes and there's a reason why. And we're gonna get to that right now with our behind the scenes industry talk. The issue that I have with this movie and I still think it's a, it's a great film. I think it's worthy of its 90%, but I gotta be honest. I, I feel like I don't, uh, This is my least favorite of the new trilogy to rewatch because so much of it, I feel like, has storylines that just aren't going to pay off, which is Finn and Rose, for the most part, 
we, we do get a little bit of hint of romance that then JJ decided he didn't want to pick up that baton at all in Rise of Skywalker. And then we also have Poe, who, to Hal's point, is just sort of space pirating his way around a resistance leadership position, and it ends up just getting a lot of people hurt. It leads to some nice moments, but ultimately, when I put on Last Jedi, I find myself more and more in tune with Luke and Rey, and I just want to be on that island, and the rest of the stuff... I just find unsatisfying. Like it, when you have an actor like Benicio del Toro, and it's just like there's just nothing for him to do other than a strange accent. It's it just kind of feels like what do we? What, what was the goal here with, with this? Is is that how you you read it at the time, Jacqueline? Um, look, uh, yeah, I'll put I'll put it to you this way on 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 my thought of the behind the scenes, and we talked about this earlier, which is. Where JJ left us in The Force Awakens was open-ended. And I know this for a fact because whether anyone at Disney will admit it, they don't want to get involved in directors making their movie. It's one of the reasons why they've had to fire so many. They kind of let the kids go off on their own and make the movie. And then they just come back with what it is and then market it. There's some guideposts given, but these guys, they wanted to sort of employ these auteur directors in their estimation, who loved Star Wars, give them the power, the agency, and $200 million to make a Star Wars movie within certain guide rails. So they're probably told, hey, you need to do this. Hey, you need to do that. But that's it. They're not really told how to get them there. Um, and Except I think, if you're Lord and Miller. Unless you <laughs> listen. But let's see who's laughing all the way to their Oscar. That is the, that is the story that needs to be explored because the, the moment Kathleen Kennedy calls them and says you're fired or they read it in deadline, whichever you want to believe happened first. Mm. And then at the end of that year, they're holding an Oscar on stage. Meanwhile, she's getting lit up by everybody on the internet calling for her to get fired. I would rather be them at that moment. But going oh, back to the absolutely. whole point is there wasn't, there wasn't, nobody was given instructions. They were all pushed out of the, out of the airplane and they had to write the parachute as they're going down. And so you cannot be upset that certain things are disjointed because I don't think really JJ sent to Ryan here, this is where you go because he didn't want George Lucas doing that to him. And so he can't really be mad that some of the things that got set up didn't get explored if nobody insisted on them being explored. And I don't necessarily know if we had Snoke through all those three movies, it would have been great. I don't necessarily know if the Finn and Ray romance was really gonna be something that people wanted to follow anyway. Like, do we really want these romances really at the center of these stories? Because the last time with Clone Wars, they weren't even about it. And that's for the people that gave birth to Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. So I think there's a little bit of, um, Brian Johnson was definitely digging in at JJ in the first one, but it was done in an artful way. By the time we get to Rise of Skywalker, JJ sought no courtesy to be artful. He was just like, this is stupid. Don't do that. Don't throw your lightsaber. You know, it just it it all felt very messy and very much like two dudes who were like ripping pages from each other, being like, "No, write this, man," and then like the other one rips it back and says, "No, man, write this." And yeah, it's like the Google Doc tug of war. Yeah, <laughs> it, it felt forth. like Star yeah. Wars Mad Libs, <laughs> and it wasn't fun. I think for anyone involved, but I think if I had my choice, I'd rather be on this side of a bold vision that didn't work for some people than the Rise of Skywalker. Giving people what they want is. Path to hell paid with best intentions. Yep. And it's like they caved to that, uh, what did you say earlier, Jacqueline, like the 10% 
of fans that were screaming with vitriol about their childhoods. JJ caved to that. Yeah, I think, you know, whoever you are, you got to take a step back and look at this trilogy, the uh, uh, seven through nine. It was bungled. There was yeah. no there was no overview. Uh, I mean, Kevin Feige don't bungle stuff. You know, or at uh, least his bungles are small enough that they can course correct. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we we don't talk about Thor: Dark World, so. <laughs> but look at what they're doing now. They're taking their mistakes and they're making them integral to a new story. To the point now where people are having to go back and watch Age of Ultron. People are having to go back and watch Dark World to understand some of the last scenes in Endgame, and that is brilliant. Taking their failures and turning them into more interesting content. That's what I think they could have honestly done even with the rise of Skywalker if they're smart about it. But I think they were too much interested in saying, yeah, he didn't do it right. Let me fix it for you, baby. And that well, just, yeah. When we talked about Rise of Skywalker on this show with Dan Casey, I feel like by the time we got there, I, I don't doubt that there was some level of J.J. watching Ryan's movie and saying, oh, well, I'm going to have to fix that. That's not the way I want it if I'm going to come back and do this movie. But the fact is, J.J. was not planning on coming back and doing that movie. And I still don't think Luke catching the lightsaber and saying a Jedi doesn't throw away a weapon or whatever the line is, is not in the face of Ryan Johnson. I think where Luke was at the beginning of The Last Jedi is a very different place than he was as a force ghost in Rise of Skywalker and that there's a lot of room for a character to continue to develop or rectify the sins of the past and they can have a different outlook on those things. But I do believe that the best of both, I think what what I really would have loved in this new trilogy the best is for Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams to be locked in a room together and hammer out these three movies because I feel like Ryan has such an incredible eye for cinema and storytelling and I feel like JJ does know how to balance what people would call fan service or throwing back to the past or relying on past movies with forward thinking and so if you can get both of them to agree this is what we're doing going forward I think it would have been a more cohesive product and probably less divisive but having said that I can still enjoy all three of these movies individually yeah I mean I th- the, the third movie, Rise of Skywalker, it just, it's so heavy with the trying to fix everything that happened in the past movie. It's, uh, I, yeah, I, I find that movie to be clearly the worst of this trilogy and one of the worst in Star Wars history, Rise of Skywalker. Junk. I want to know who who hates The Last Jedi and loves Rise of Skywalker. Because for mm. every single person who's like, this movie was the death of Star Wars, this is the worst movie ever created. Like, all of you, if I'm going to go ahead and assess to you right now that you are 100% correct, which I don't believe, but like, if I'm going to buy into that, then where do you put Rise of Skywalker? Because I don't feel like they're sitting over here saying, yeah, that got it completely right. Like, is there a lot of those folks? I, I don't know. That's that's the question I would have. And if you guys want to let me know, if you're one of those people, go right ahead. I Lucy, love Rise know? of Skywalker, but I, I love it for very different reasons than The Last Jedi. Same reason why I love Return of the Jedi for very different reasons than I love Empire Strikes Back. I just feel like there's two very different tones, but that original classic trilogy informed me on what to expect from a movie trilogy, where the middle part, 
Empire or Last Jedi is going to be the darkest, the most personal, the the one where you're really finding out about yourself and you're maybe more inclined to sacrifice some levity or some happy endings that you would expect to see from the third movie, which is what we did get with Return of the Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker is a far more disjointed movie than Return of the Jedi, but I don't begrudge people for saying, I just want to put on Star Wars and go to a galaxy far, far away and feel happiness for two hours. So I think you can look at that movie and say, well, that's retconning what Ryan did in the same way you can watch Last Jedi and say Ryan's retconning what J.J. did. I think you can also put on Rise Skywalker and just be like, this is a lighter, airier movie than the deep cinematic discourse masterclass that we just got with The Last Jedi. And sometimes that's what I'd rather have. I mean, yeah, I, I still, I, I, I just want to know how y'all feel. Like if you like Lucy, <laughs> Lucy. Yeah, I um. So first and foremost, I really like Ryan Johnson's non-Star Wars movies. So I like him as a filmmaker. I think he's a great writer. Love him. I don't like any of the new Star Wars movies. Mm. I also respect JJ as a as a writer director. Uh, hot take: I think he's a better TV director than a movie director, but that's a whole different conversation. I actually liked Rise of Skywalker if I had to pick which one I liked the most only because it was pretty much a direct rip off of things I'd loved before about the originals. <laughs> so these were so the first movies I ever saw in a theater were the originals in like 1990 something. I was five years old. It blew my mind. So I have a love for Star Wars, but I, I've felt ever since The Force Awakens to Rise of Skywalker a little betrayed in a sense. And I'm not some mega Star Wars fan, but I, I think... Um, it just, there were just too many, ex there were just too many surprises in The Last Jedi where I was like, this just doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie to me. It feels very forced. And yeah, JJ, it seemed a little bit like he was like, screw this idea from Ryan and screw that idea from Ryan. I'm going to fix all of it. And that's a little bit weird to do as well. But I, I did at the end of the day, like the third one as better as a popcorn movie than the second one, I guess. How do you think that maybe sometimes we because we all work somewhat in this particular industry and we're so glued to social media and read those trades that that we are more sensitive to, oh, that's clearly going back on what was set up in the previous movie. Do you think that that the average fan cares? Do you think that they just want more Star Wars and more fun to be had in a galaxy far, far away? Or do you think that they actually got invested in what was set up and felt let down by either The Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker. I, I get we'll keep it The Last Jedi for this conversation. Mm, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, I, I feel like people just want, at the end of the day, it, it's more people who just want a fun movie-going experience, and there's less people who are going to be like, oh, you destroyed my childhood. But that voice <laughs> is that voice is strong, though. I mean, and they are, they're so vocal about it, and that's going to cause... Here's the thing. If you stay off social media, just like, you know, all of the political vitriol or whatever's happening in the world... If you uh, don't go on Twitter, if you uh, uh, don't go on Facebook, and you're you're not going to see your uh, your aunt's incendiary posts or uh, <laughs> whatever it is, and it's the same way with with Star Wars. If you in a bubble, it's you know they're they're fu they're fun movies. Some are a little more artfully done, you know. And again, R Ryan Johnson, he 
took more liberties. He he put his own style imp, stylistic imprint on this movie as opposed to so yeah I, I think it's it's more people that just want to go out and have a good star wars time it's like pizza it's like pizza you know if, you, if you're a restaurant critic you're going to break down the pizza if, if you're you know just uh you know hungry and you're watching the uh, washington football team play on a sunday afternoon you just want a good pizza right but you just want to eat pizza mark right mark yeah, or if they're playing on Saturday night and giving the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers all don't, they can handle. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't mention that word, that name, or that quarterback. Moving on, just th- for well, Aaron Rodgers. Well, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I do want to add this one thing, though, about y'all. Because y'all mentioned the critics, like the food critic. Yeah. In this particular case, the food critic was not the critics. The most critical people about The Last Jedi were the fans. They yeah. were the ones calling out the inconsistencies with the lore. They were the ones calling out, you know, that certain things couldn't happen the way that they expected it. And if I'm being completely honest, and, and this is the thing, Ryan Johnson told y'all in the trailer. I remember being at Star Wars convention in Orlando when they did the last Jedi trailer for the first time. It says the Jedis have to die. Kill the past. Like, you know, uh, the past needs to die. Kill it if you have to. It also said that, um, you know, this is not going to go the way you think. They literally set the foundation to tell everyone with all your Snoke theories and your Ray theories and all this stuff that you guys have married yourself to since The Force Awakens came out. This movie is not that. This movie is about what we need to do to move forward. And that really just was something that a lot of people couldn't deal with. But I remember Ryan Johnson going and people were literally lined up outside to see the very first Star Wars trailer. And he went out there with Kathleen Kennedy and like greeted all the fans. And he was just like, oh man, he's doing this for us. And then the movie came out and it was like, "Mm, maybe not. Um, It was a fun Star Wars celebration, man. It was. I I went to the one in Orlando and it was so much fun because Ryan, what what you said, Jacqueline, he was up at three in the morning. I don't know that Molly, the Wonder Dog, is a big fan of, uh, the Last Jedi. She seems to have some very strong opinions. Be that as it may, I think Ryan Johnson taught us all a lesson here. And the lesson is not necessarily with how he made The Last Jedi, but it is on what he did with his art in the face of the criticism of The Last Jedi. Yeah. Because while The Last Jedi criticism, all this debate was going on, Jacqueline, what did he do? He kind of eventually just sheltered himself from social media and he wrote a movie that everybody did kind of love. Yeah. And uh, Oscar-nominated movie, again, uh, laughed his way all the way to an Oscar nomination, got married, lived a happy life, and guess what, kids? He's still getting a Star Wars trilogy. The the thing that I think is funny is, I'm not sure that Ryan Johnson would have been the director that they selected to direct the last installment had The Last Jedi not ended up having the backlash that it did, but I know they selected J.J. Abrams because of that. They're like, look, he seems to be the only guy that can make these efforts happy. <laughs> <laughs> bring back the guy that made them happy the first time. That's but fair. That's fair. To, to reiterate, look, it, it, JJ had the most intimate connection with all of the scenes that he had filmed with Carrie Fisher. We yeah. lost Carrie Fisher. You can't account for tragedies like that to happen. Colin yeah. Trevorrow not seeing that eye. And so. how do we know the movie would have ended up the way that it ended up had Carrie Fisher not died? Let's remember, she was flying back from London, and I know for a fact they did not do any reshoots prior to her death. Mm-hmm. How do we know there wasn't a game plan to get rid of half of the stuff that people have issues with? These movies are tested for that reason. How would have loved it? How we could have gotten so much more space floating 
in oh the Rise of Skywalker. I mean, please. Uh, some people want more cowbell. I want more space floating. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> yes, uh, sir. The uh, I, I just I just want to mention there are just a, a couple. We, I, maybe we've already gone over this territory, but are are you like me? Do you do you lay in bed at night asking yourself, is it worth mass casualties in order to take out a dreadnought? <laughs> I lay in bed at night. And I still think about all those poor souls on Alderaan who lost their lives. And 30 minutes later, we're all smiles having a medal ceremony. And the biggest gripe at the end of A New Hope is that Shuey didn't get a medal. How about the biggest gripe being a planet of people were obliterated. And then in The Force Awakens, five planets of people were obliterated just so we could have a nice little happy ending. Star Wars has no designs on caring for mass amounts of Human life, alien life has no value in the Star Wars universe. And you can can watch that bit on Dog Stepfather, currently available on Amazon Prime. (laughs) I like what you did there. Also, let me let me ask you this. The uh I mean, I don't feel I feel like we haven't quite talked enough about the the casino excursion in, in the movie and just what like what was what, what why why'd they do that what was up uh, and then the relationship with uh rose and finn what why what was happening there um when when rose kissed finn at the end and that went no like i'm like you know i was i i like rose tico and I, I think Kelly Marie Tran, she's an angel and people need to apologize to her. And I salute her. I think she did a great freaking job. I like her motivation with her sister dying. I thought that was really well done. But then the relationship with Finn, it was like, sort of, not really. She fangirled over him because he was a hero of the last movie. And, and then she, she checked him very quickly when she figured out that he was scamming his way off of the base. So... She yeah. shocked him. Yeah, but she, I mean, the, the, the relation, it was a will they or won't they, and then it, it was such a, you know, I hate this expression, but it was a real nothing burger. Yeah, <laughs> they, it, it, so it didn't was pay the Finn and, Finn and Ray thing was yeah. a nothing burger. I mean, and the, the I unpaid feel like off he kiss did, in this movie, in this series, sorry, the unpaid off kiss in this yeah. series, it's kind of, I the, think, par for the course. Uh, and maybe like Ryan Johnson might have, like he didn't stick the landing on on that one because he, he potentially had something good, but then he took them on a wild goose chase that ended with nothing. That that's a flaw of this movie that I don't feel like we've hit it quite enough. Yeah, I I, I think that that's again, it's like if you're gonna highlight scenes that that you're a fan of or even scenes that you're not, you you may just. We all lean more towards ones that felt more impactful to the overall film, and that just felt like this weird Disney-fied side excursion. That um, it just that is what bogs the movie down for me upon repeat viewings. And um, I love Benicio del Toro. By the way, shout out uh, Escape from Danamora. Um, That like that uh, miniseries directed by Ben Stiller with. uh, uh, Paul Dano and man Patricia Arquette like the act just a clinic in acting clinic he's um, great he's yeah great. also he gets- Benicio in his defense when he does do weird accents they usually pay off started with the usual suspects uh, mm-hmm. he just came up with that and it worked I think he was just trying to capture some old glory but that's that again that is something that 
is been prevalent with Star Wars, and that's the reason why these these things can't move forward. But look look at what they did with the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian was not what people expected at all. It was not like some weird Boba Fett origin story. I think fans are okay with subversion of expectations so long as they like what is being done. It is when they don't like what's being done that they want to say, ah, you like John Favreau was also not beholden to this whole idea of what everything should be. One of the best bits of things that they did was um, changing Yoda, the baby Yoda whole thing. That was already set up in the lore. Yeah. They just explored it differently. I well, was going to say uh, that. Jacqueline, also, you, yeah. you, you mentioned all like the changes of Mandalorian, but I feel like the reason we love Mandalorian is because of its echoes of the very first installment, episode four. Echoes, or because there's a not baby. Copied, we will talk about the man. We will have everybody back to talk about the Mandalorian soon. Unfortunately, unlike this last Jedi conversation that exists in the ether, this show does have to move on to our mailbag fan corner. Hit the music. Oh, God, everybody take a breath. That was a great, great dissertation, because anytime you talk about any one of these episodic adventures, it gets into the larger nature of Star Wars. And so regardless of what you think about each one individually, it is a testament to George Lucas's baby that we talk about one. We got to talk about everything now. It's all that important just like our fan emails you can hit us up anytime rt is wrong at rottentomatoes.com that is rt is wrong at rottentomatoes.com like this one from josh mobley josh says hey guys adore in caps adore your show jacqueline mark and the gang are just killing it it has become necessary to my thursday morning routine to listen to you guys you've done a great job covering action sci-fi horror which are his ideal genres and even a couple of chick flicks which is drawn in my girlfriend but here's the thought to satisfy all us Gen X listeners. Go 80s. Go divisive. Well, if you want us to go divisive, you'll be happy to listen to this episode. The yeah. 80s movies that Josh Mobley thinks we should cover are how, tell me if you love or hate any of these, Willow, Back to the Future 2, Highlander, Weird Science, and Short Circuit. Thanks so much for your contribution to the world of filmdom. Love you. We love you right back, Josh Mobley. Of those five movies that Josh suggested for us to review, I hate one of them. Which one do you hate? Back, to, no. not Back to the Future. No, Willow. No, no, no. Short Circuit. Hate <gasps> it. Hate I actually it. don't hate Short Circuit. However, it does have the one of the most egregious <laughs> portrayals yes, in the history of film. Mickey yes. Rooney. Mm -hmm. Marlon Brando, uh, sorry, uh, James, uh, sorry, John Wayne is Genghis Khan. Yep. Yes. And Fisher Stevens in brown face for short circuit. I didn't know that dude wasn't brown until I, I was didn't like, either. literally, I was like, wait a minute, are you telling me the Indian yep. dude from short circuit is also the weird hacker dude from hackers? Yeah, no! I, I might not have known that until it was talked about on uh, the show Master of None. There was a yeah. really good uh, episode about the uh, portrayal of uh, uh, East Asian people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> I um I don't agree with you. I actually like to enjoy thoroughly all these movies. My number one though is Willow. I love that movie so much. I they cannot mess up that series. I will, yeah, we're getting that series. I will stab people. I think Willow is uh, rotten, if I'm not mistaken. It is rotten. It's also in our book, Rotten Movies We Love, which is yeah. sort of like the granddaddy of this podcast in a way, although we go on both sides. I'm with all of this. Um, yeah, Highlander, well, uh, yeah. 
Oh, uh, yeah. H- Highlander uh, is is great. I feel like uh, what hap- we need to explore what happened with all of the sequels. Like, why is there only one <laughs> the good Highlander though, movie? The quickening, though. Listen, mm. I love that movie. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I need to do a, a full Back to the Future rewatch. I need to watch all three of those movies again. That I mean, you should do uh, all three Back to the Futures in one episode, I think. Sometimes people get mad when I when my description of a movie is fun. Like, oh, I had fun with it. Uh, Back to the Future, particularly the first one, but all three movies, are it's just fun on yeah. celluloid. It's just... Mm-hmm they're just so great and i would love to talk about any one of those movies really because i can i am not shy about sharing my hate for short circuit not just limited to fisher stevens but that is the most problematic part of the movie so we're going to close the show up here but before we do that i do have some trivia to ask hal and jacqueline and i will get to that right after i thank from the bottom of our collective hearts here on the show hal rudnick for joining us, how I know you're a busy guy, even in these trying times. You're all oh, you're performing, you're writing, you're teaching, you're giving back to the community. Where can all the kids out there find Mr. Hal Rudnick, or should I say, the cute one? Oh, guys, <laughs> I go, oh, Mark. I see what you did there. Uh, thank you, and I just want to thank uh, Jacqueline, Mark, uh, for having me into your home here, Lucy, uh, the producey. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate everybody. Uh, Good times talking with you guys. And you can find me at Hal Rudnick on Twitter and Instagram. Also, I have a podcast co-hosted with uh, the professor, Lon Harris, called Binge Boys, where each week we talk streaming shows, movies, uh, your Hulus, your Netflix, you know, uh, streaming. And uh, you can find Binge Boys where ever you find your podcasts um that Lon harris uh, just a no good delinquent that we should probably have on the show before it's all said and done what is something that we should be uh binging what, what's something you're watching right now what's something what, what's a movie you saw what should you know, all the kids out uh, there be streaming? yeah i'll give you a recommendation from hbo max this is like so i've been ingesting a lot of content uh for uh binge boys and one of the things where i'm like damn uh i watched a bunch of this i I have to, I'm compelled to finish this, is this Spanish show from HBO Europe uh, called um, 30 Coins or um, 30 Monetas is uh, the uh, trans, uh, the Spanish name. And it is a horror, uh, uh, fantastical show, uh, very Guillermo del Toro in style. And it's about, just uh, real quick, in the Bible, Judas was given 30 coins for betraying Christ. And in the uh, in the story, the thirty coins have scattered, uh, and they, they've been taken by individual people. Cut to today, the Catholic Church is aligned with the devil, trying to get these thirty coins to bring evil into ultimate power in the world. And uh, a ragtag ragtag band of folks in this um, small Spanish town are trying to stop the evil and trying to stop the fulfillment of this prophecy. Um, of getting these 30 individual coins that have scattered across the world at this point. And it is wild. It is really surprisingly funny. And it's a, it's kind of scary too. Really well done. Check out 30 coins. All right. 30 coins. That was a good heartfelt review of that. Um, so here's our movie trivia question for both Jacqueline and Hal and everybody playing along. 
listening at home or in the gym or in the bathroom or in the car, wherever you enjoy listening to our show. Ryan Johnson currently has three movies that are above 90% on the tomato meter that he has directed. One is obviously The Last Jedi. Name the other two. Knives Out and Brick. And Hal, your guesses? Well, just uh, I'll go off the board and say Knives Out and Looper. Hal Rudnick is your winner, ladies what? and gentlemen. Brick? Brick? Is it 80%? Come, sorry. 80%. And the true Jacqueline emerges. It really did. It really did jump out. Also, I forgot this. Um, this was actually a gift given to me, so I kind of forgot I was back there. But I actually have Johnny Five over my right shoulder. The guy who designed that also designed Tron. Uh, he's like a very famous uh, prop designer. And yeah, this is like a print of the original that he made of Johnny five oh, like, very cool. with his hand. It's, it's a cool design. You can keep Johnny five. I'll take max from flight of the navigator all day. Have no Wally. Gutenberg love either. No Gutenberg or Ali Sheedy love. I am out oh, on yeah. short circuit and we will cover it more. Is that our movie? Next? No, it's not our movie next week. I am very excited to talk about the movie that we do have next week. Um, obviously, check out The Last Jedi, and then let us know your thoughts. We always love hearing from you. You can email us, rtiswrong, at rottentomatoes.com. Subscribe to this show. Rate, review, wherever you enjoy podcasts, all that stuff. Tell your family about it. I don't care if you don't align with them politically. Everybody can agree that we should be listening to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. And Jacqueline, about that movie next week. Oh, yes. What movie do we have next week? Because I didn't scroll that far. Yes. Oh, do you want me to No, I got tell it. You? I got it. I'm very excited. It's, we're going to Akeem. We're bringing roses. <laughs> Wakanda before there was Wakanda. The land of Zamunda. We're going yes. to coming to America, y'all. Before the coming to, as in like one, two sequel. I don't need to rewatch Coming to America. I've seen it a thousand times. I caught it again not a week ago, and it is just, I, I will save my deep dive opinions for next week, but I could do a whole movie just in the barbershop. It's just that good. Yeah. I was actually checking to make sure I was right that Steve Gutenberg was in Short Circuit, because I forgot. Oh, God. <laughs> well, he's, I loved- there's two. There's two, and the second one has... What's the white guy's name that's like with Fisher Stevens? No, no, not that guy. Andrew the other, McCarthy. No, the other white guy. Oh. The the one that is with Fisher Stevens in the sequel because the other ones are not there. What's that guy's name? He's from like uh, his in, name is not Hal Rudnick who joined he's us in today. Spinal Tap. Spinal name Tap. Name is not Producey Lucy. Christopher Guest. Um, <laughs> gonna go with Michael, Michael McKeon? McKeon. It is Michael McKeon. Thank you. All right, you. we gotta go. It is Michael McKeon. That is Jacqueline Coley who needs to brush up on her who played Mr. Green from Clue trivia. That is Hal Rudnick from Screen Junkies. You've seen him on everything from Community to Key and Peel and parts in between. Our amazing engineer, Christian Rubocaba. And once again, producing Lucy, I am merely Mark Ellis thanking you for everybody who's no longer with us on Alderaan in a galaxy far, far away. This has been Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, and we'll catch you next week. Oh, man. Oh, man.